I bet you know the feeling. It's that feeling when you have that empty pit in your stomach, when your hands start to sweat. Maybe you've had it on your first day of work, your first day at school. Maybe you've had it before a difficult conversation that you know you need to have, but you don't know how it will be heard. Maybe you've had that feeling the night before a big presentation that you have to deliver and you just don't know how it's going to be received, whether it will be accepted, whether it will go forward. Maybe at your school, you want to live one way, but everybody around you is living a different way and that you experience that feeling then because you know that they want you to be this, but really you want to be that. There are a number of situations, innumerable situations in our life that require one thing, and that one thing is known as courage. Courage is required in every facet of our lives. I I heard a speaker a while back talk about courage in these different categories that I think is helpful. He talked about how sometimes in life we need the courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Maybe that's in a relationship. Maybe that's in a job. Maybe that's just simply packing up and moving to a different location. We need the courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Or maybe the opposite is true. Sometimes we need the courage to go when it would be easier to stay. Sometimes we just need to throw our hands up and admit. Sometimes we need the courage to ask for help when it seems like we should have all of our lives figured out by now. There are all kinds of situations in our life that require courage. Courage is something that we've seen in our series in the book of Exodus. And we're going to see it unfold in a new way, in a new dimension this morning as we go through it. If this is your first time here at Calvary or you haven't been here in a while, I'd like to welcome you here. My name is Perry. I'm part of the staff team. So glad you could be with us this morning. Pastor Tom, who was scheduled to be here, is actually out of town right now. Um, He's taking care of some business due to the passing of his mom last week. And at this point in in the service, in the last service, I said, Pastor Tom and his wife Lucy were traveling and everybody started laughing at me, which is never a good sign when you're up on stage because Lucy was sitting right there. (laughs) So I just feel like the need to share that with you across the services. But in this series out of the book of Exodus, we have seen a nation develop out of a family. It started off with Joseph and his brothers in Egypt, living actually in abundance and prosperity. And over time, their situation changed dramatically. They went to a place of freedom and prosperity to a place of bondage. The circumstances could not have been more bleak. In fact, if you remember at the end of chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, it said this about their situation. It said, During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard. God remembered. God saw. God knew. Just when it seemed like God was nowhere to be found because their circumstances were so terrible, the text reminds us that actually 
God was aware of what was going on. There was no question in his mind of their situation, their circumstances, and God knew exactly what he was doing and how he would deliver them out of their situation and their struggle. And then we saw over the weeks how God raised up this man named Moses to help lead the people out of slavery. And one thing that we've noticed, though, probably that you've noticed in your life, too, though, is that God's promise spans generations. No single generation gets to witness everything that God is doing from start to finish. So every generation requires courage. Courage is something that the people in this generation required to trust God in spite of their very bleak circumstances, but to step in in spite of their fear into God's promises. But because God's promises span generations, there's a call for the next generation to demonstrate and exhibit that same kind of courage. In fact, even in our day, in this room, right now, in this time, in this place in Boulder, there's a call for us to also demonstrate courage in our lives as well. But where does courage come from? That's the question I want to answer this morning. That's the question I want to examine. Where does courage come from for our lives? When you think about the situations that you face that require courage, where are you going to get that courage from? Is it something that you just internally try to generate yourself? Or does it come from somewhere else? Do we just grit our teeth and just determine that we're going to do something in spite of the fear that it might induce inside of us? Or does that courage come from somewhere else? We're going to look at a situation in the lives of the Israelites that required courage. It's actually outside of the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, where we stopped last week, left us at the base of Mount Sinai, only about the midpoint geographically between Egypt and the promised land where the Israelites were being delivered to by Yahweh's hand, by the power of the hand of the Lord. And now... After Exodus, the people would spend 40 years making a journey that could have been done in a matter of weeks. But because of a number of different circumstances, rebellion, doubting, and because of their unfaithfulness to God, the journey takes much longer. And now they're at a new point, and it's a new requirement, a new call for courage. We're going to look this morning in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn there now. We're going to look and see how there's a transition now between Moses' leadership and the leadership to another man named Joshua. And we will see that a leadership transition is a call for courage. Some of you have experienced this personally. You know what it's like to try to take over for somebody else who's been a leader. Leaders inevitably are faced with the charge of leading other people into an uncertain future. And that is a moment that requires courage. It requires boldness to step out in spite of the uncertainty, in spite of the doubt. That's what a leader does. It's a call to courage. Okay, let's read Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. It says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The call to lead is a call to courage. But the call to live is a call to courage. We don't have to be in a position of leadership to have a need for courage in our life. You don't have to be the CEO of a company You don't have to be the captain of a sports team. You don't have to be the student body president. We all face a call for courage in our life. But specifically this morning, we will see it unfold in the context of leadership, of this transition between Moses and Joshua. So where does that courage come from that we need in our lives today, right here in Boulder, Colorado? Where does that courage come from? Verse 5 is one of our first clues of where this courage comes from. It says this, this is Yahweh, the Lord, speaking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Throughout the text, Joshua is referred to as the assistant of Moses. He's referred that way in the book of Exodus. On a couple of occasions, it says that Joshua is, Mo- I mean, that Joshua is the assistant of Moses, that he goes with Moses partway up to the top of Mount Sinai, and then he's there to await Moses coming back down from Mount Sinai. It says that Joshua is by Moses' side at Moses' tent, where, Mo- where Moses would meet with the Lord the tent of meeting, and then Moses would leave the tent and go into the camp where the rest of the Israelites were, and Joshua would remain at that tent. Joshua stood in Moses' shadow, and as he stood in Moses' shadow, he witnessed firsthand what it looked like to have the presence of God in your life. Because Moses had this intimacy, this proximity with the Lord that was unprecedented. And as Joshua stood by Moses' side, Joshua saw, Joshua observed, Joshua heard what it's like to know God's presence in your life. I think there's something we can learn from that here. I think there's something that we can learn 
from this lesson of the proximity that Moses has with God, but also that Joshua has with Moses. Because isn't it true in our life that sometimes we have those opportunities to come alongside another person who has walked with the Lord for a period of time and knows the Lord in a way that we do not yet know, and they can help us understand what it looks like to live with the presence of God, to recognize it, to identify it, to enjoy being in God's presence. I think we can learn from that. And I think we can get some ideas together of how we can engage in that here at Calvary. I'd like to take just a couple minutes and show you a video to help paint the picture of this. My mentor, Austin Blood, he's been there for me. Honestly, Austin's given me like a clear-eyed vision of the man I could be. And also he's guided me on a path just to go stronger in my faith with Christ. It's just been worthwhile and meaningful to me. And um, I'm a better man just going to church here and then also knowing my mentor. It's too easy to step into a church and just kind of isolate yourself and cut, your off, cut yourself off from wisdom and the experiences that other people have. But the Lord says we are to encourage one another. If we start to actually practice that, He is faithful to work through us and to cause that growth. And uh, it's been mentioned that it causes growth for the mentor also. And I've certainly experienced that in my own relationship with my mentee. It's really helping me. It's, it's uh, given me a great challenge and been a great excitement and great joy. But what was really different is just meeting with uh, my mentor, Greg. Uh, we met almost every week for a full year and just, you know, we, got, you know, we really got to know each other, um, encouraging each other. We both have a family with three children and it was just great connecting with him and encouraging each other. We just challenged each other um, each week. We, we studied scripture from the Bible that, um, that talked about these real issues I was dealing with, worry, stress, family issues. Um, so if, if you participate in a process of Christian growth for a young man, it helps you at the same time. If you do that and that, that kind of information spreads throughout a church, your church is also a better place. If you do that enough with enough men, not only is your church a better place, conceivably your community is a better place. The, the mentees and the mentors, if you do it right, it is a friendship for life. Uh, so much of my input and so much of my relationships right now are with peers in college or guys just out of college, but to have somebody who uh, is so much older and so much wiser. Uh, my mentor's been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive. Um, so just to have that, that input and to have um, that in my life has been so crucial. I think for anybody, no matter what stage of life they're at, it's incredible just to hear from somebody who's been doing it longer. Uh, I think it'd be a huge miss not to have somebody like that in your life. I love what Alex said there about how there are people who have been walking with the Lord longer than he has been alive. Isn't that so precious to hear? And that's one of the strengths of this church, that we have people in all different generations represented here, people who have been walking the Lord for just a week to people who have been walking with the Lord for decades. How wonderful it is when we can pair those two up people in different stages of life, so that like Joshua with Moses, we can walk along somebody, to stand in somebody's shadow and learn from them about what it means to live with God's presence 
with an active awareness of God's active presence in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. You know, this happens in a number of different ways. You saw this video from Men's Mentoring. It can happen as well in our MOPS groups, in Moms Next, in our revived Bible studies, in the classes that take place both here on Sunday morning and during the week. It takes place in our life groups and in our base camp groups. There are all kinds of opportunities here. Our family ministry areas in high school, junior high, for the elementary kids. There's so many ways where we can plug in and have a kind of life-on-life existence together where I can learn from you and you can learn from me about what it looks like to walk with the Lord. If you're unfamiliar with these opportunities, I just invite you to visit our website or talk to me after the service. I would love to help you see what some of these opportunities could be for your life. You know, as a personal story, I am so grateful for the impact of people in this church in my life. Now, I've only been at the church for a little over a year, but there are people in this church, long-term members of Calvary Bible Church, who have made a huge impact on my life, even though they don't know me very well. See, there are people like Eric Swanson and Bob Horner who invested into somebody named Dan Jensen about 30 years ago. Dan isn't a part of this church, but Dan invested in my life when we just happened to cross paths about 20 years ago. And Dan made an impact on my life that has made me and shaped me into who I am today. I saw God's presence in Dan's life. And that's a beautiful picture of how when you start to do this, you might impact lives of people who you've never met. You may never know the full extent of what God has done in those kinds of relationships until we're all together worshiping around the throne of Jesus someday. What a beautiful thing to be a part of. And it's just a little glimpse of what we see here between Joshua and between Moses. Joshua can be confident that God's presence is with him because he saw God's presence in the life of Moses. And you see, here's the answer to the question that I wanted to pose this morning. Where does courage come from? Courage comes from realizing and living in the reality of God's presence in our lives. That is where true courage comes from. It's not an internally generated kind of thing, but it's something that comes from the reality of God's presence in our life, that we hear him, we see him, we're aware of his presence, and then that gives us the courage to step into areas of fear in our lives. How incredible it is to think that the king of the universe is with us, even here this morning. If we're going to have the king in our presence, or better said, if we are going to live in the presence of the king, though, then we ought to conform our lives to the ways of the kingdom. In fact, that's what we've seen in the book of Exodus as well. We've seen how after God rescues them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and he assembles them around Mount Sinai to do what? To instruct them in what it looks like to live according to his ways. He assembles all the Israelites there and gives them the Ten Commandments, the instructions on here is the basic foundational idea or ideas of what it means to live in the right kind of relationship with the king of the universe. If we're going to live with the king We have to abide by the laws of the kingdom. I'd like to turn your attention to verses 7 and 8. 
The Lord says this to Joshua, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the laws that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The instructions in this book are not drudgery. The instructions in this book are meant to give life. The instructions in this book teach us about what it means to live in the right kind of relationship with the creator of the universe and the one who created you and me. The instructions then are actually a source of life to us. We see this as we look at places like Psalm 1. Psalm 1 talks about how blessed it is for the man who does not walk in the presence of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You hear the echo of Joshua 1, 1 through 9 there? Meditate on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Just imagine that in your life. What does it look like in your life to have that kind of refreshment just pour over your soul? Like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What a beautiful picture. So also in Psalm 19, says this. Why don't we read this together? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. More to be desired than gold. See, God's word explains what it means to live in the presence of the one true God. God's word then goes hand in hand with this experience of God's presence in our lives. If courage comes from God's presence, then we need to conform our lives to, the, to become the kind of lives that enjoy God's presence, that experience his presence. Because he's a holy God. He is a righteous God. We cannot just choose what's right on our own. We cannot just determine our own way or set our own course. We have to conform our lives to what God requires of us, for what he has made us to be, for who he has made us to be as his people. But when you hear statements like that, you might start to get an image in your mind like, I guess I got to do this. I guess I've got, it's up to me to be able to follow all of God's laws, and then as I follow those laws, then I'll experience his presence. An old seminary professor of mine put it this way. He said, Joshua will not succeed 
because he obeys God's instruction. He will exceed, succeed rather, because God is with him to enable him to obey his instruction. Do you see the difference? It's not up to us to just say, okay, we are going to, through our own effort, determination, and sheer will, we are going to grit our teeth and make sure that we are following all of God's instructions on our own power and in our own strength. But rather, even the ability to follow God's instructions are according to God's grace. God gives us, through his presence, the ability to follow him, to conform our lives to his ways. It's all grace along the way. And as we do that, we experience God's presence And this is why it can be so critical for us to have people in our lives who are already doing this. I'd like to jump ahead to the book of Philippians, and you can see what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city called Philippi about what this looks like, about the value of it, of having somebody else in your life who you can look to and say, oh, that's what God's presence is. He says this in chapter 3, verse 17, brothers or sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Watch those people. They are the ones you want to be like. Philippians 4, chapter 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice that subtle thing there. Not the peace of God, which is wonderful in and of itself, but the actual God of peace will be with you. His presence will be with you as you learn and receive and hear and see these things that you put into life, into your own life. Paul's saying, the things that you've overheard me say and I didn't know you were listening, follow those things. The things that you have seen me do and I didn't know you were watching, do those things. And the God of peace will be with you. If we are going to experience God's presence in our lives, we have to conform our lives to his ways. And one of the most powerful ways we do that is simply by having people in our lives who are seeking after that same thing. We pursue it together as a community of people. But perhaps you're thinking, Perry, that's great. We see this promise to Joshua That was thousands of years ago. God is speaking directly to Joshua. So how do I know that this works for me too? How do I know that this promise to Joshua actually applies to my life? If we look to the life of Jesus, I think we can find an answer. The book of John chapter 1 talks about how the word became flesh. The word being Jesus. He became flesh meaning that the Son of God took on humanity and became flesh. And then the next phrase in there is, and he dwelt among us. That dwelling, that word for dwelling, can be understood as tabernacled. Or he tented among us. A completely clear reference to the story of Exodus. That as Israel learns about what it means to cohere their lives to God's ways, to live with God's presence among them in this tabernacle, Jesus took to an entirely new level as he took on flesh rather than a tent, rather than a tabernacle, 
and dwelt in the flesh among humans like you and me. And as he did that, he represented God's very presence because he is God himself. But at the end of his ministry, it says that Jesus goes up onto a mountaintop. This is God speaking to his followers. That should remind us of something out of the book of Exodus. And as God is speaking to his followers, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why do you think you might make that statement? You make that statement to people who might doubt. You make that statement to people who might have that empty pit feeling in their stomach, whose hands might be a little bit clammy. Those people who are experiencing a moment of fear and you're reassuring them. Be strong and courageous. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And your land shall be from the great river Euphrates to the great sea to the land of the Hittites and the Lebanon. That was Israel's land. But here the scope is so much greater. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're baptizing people, which means people are coming to know the Lord. You ever been in a conversation trying to invite somebody to know the Lord? What do you need in that moment? Courage. Be strong and courageous. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Do not Let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What does Joshua 1.9 say? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We hear this echo of Joshua here in the Great Commission. Jesus is speaking with his disciples, but when he's promising his presence to the end of the age, we know that he's speaking to us because the end of the age is not yet here. My friends, we can have courage because we know that God is present. As we conform our lives to his ways, we experience that courage because we can be confident that his presence is with us. I don't know what you're experiencing this morning, what you need courage for in this moment, but I do know that all of us who follow Jesus have this as a life mission statement, that this is what we're going after. And as we do this, it requires courage. It requires courage to follow. It requires courage to speak. It requires courage to stay in step with the Lord. But the great news is that courage that's required is not courage that's up to you to generate. Rather, that courage comes from God's presence living inside of you. So as we go out from this place, remember that you have the presence of God with you as you follow the Lord. And because you have that presence, you can be courageous to live according to his ways 
and to represent him to the city, to the world, around the Thanksgiving table on Thursday, and everywhere we go. What would it look like for us to be known as a community of God's people in Boulder, Colorado, who live with the kind of courage it takes to love our city, to love the people around us in the workplace, in our families, in our homes, in our schools? What would it look like for us to live with that kind of courage? Why don't we seek God's presence together? And why don't we ask for a fresh realization of his presence this morning as we close? Let's seek the Lord and ask for him to remind us of his presence in our lives. Would you pray? Father, we are so grateful that your presence is what you have promised to us, Lord. Just as you were with Moses, so you are with Joshua. And just as you were with Joshua, you were with your disciples. And just as you were with your disciples, so you are with us. Lord, may we live in the reality of that. Father, I pray for relationships to form in this place where they are needed between people who are experiencing that presence and people who question that presence. I pray for relationships, Lord, where people will begin to see and hear and know and realize and feel your presence in their lives, maybe in ways that they have never even known possible. Lord, I pray that as those things happen, that you would instill us with courage to live as we ought, not in our own strength, Lord, but in the strength that you supply. God, would you do that in our lives and may that impact the people around us in a way that brings glory to your name, Lord, and that enables us to live the way you have made us to live. God, we are your people and we ask now that we would feel your presence. Lord, we ask this in your holy and powerful and mighty and loving and glorious and almighty holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen.